The topic tonight, as you know, is love, dating, and relationships, calling all people wanting to love and be loved according to God's holy desire. Isn't that why we're all here? Very exciting. And our speakers are uh, Jackie Francois. She's a full-time traveling worship leader and speaker from Orange County. And Bobby Angel, her boyfriend, is the assistant campus minister at the Servite High School in Anaheim. Both have studied at the Theology of the Body Institute and enjoy lengthy books, long walks on the beach, (laughs) quoting the office, and preparing together for the imminent robot invasion. And I'm not sure what that is, but they will tell you all about it. So please help me welcome Bobby and Jackie. Thank you. So you all knew you were going to get me, but you didn't know you were going to get Bobby Angel. Yes, that is his real name. It's not just a stage name. Um, but He's a, a world-renowned kazoo player, so we'll be sharing that talent later. And penguins. He writes books about penguins in his dreams. Um, so, yes, we're big goofballs, and we do quote The Office. Every morning I get a text message uh, from, like, scripture and or maybe, like, theology of the body, and then I get a text from The Office. So if If there's some kind of lovey-dovey like scripture verse that's like a little too lovey-dovey i make sure to follow it up with something about bears beats and battlestar galactica from dwight Schrute. yeah so it's awesome um but we are here today because why because and why is there always such a huge turnout when it comes to relationships well because you know we listen to the radio you turn on the radio and there are songs about love or there are songs about um wanting to i dug my key into the side of it you know like really angry like on a scale of one to adele how bitter are you you know like for real we we get either like so in love or we get like really bitter like i'm just like adam levine from maroon five he you can tell it's coming out it is coming out in his songs i'm like okay we don't have pay phones anymore adam but all right, you're, you're mad, you're angry. So we love talking about love because that's how we were made. And last year I came here and I talked about the ache of singlehood and dating. And basically the whole thesis, I mean, that talk is online so you can go watch that. But basically the whole idea of that is that we all long to be loved. We were all created in the image and likeness of God who is love. So clearly as human beings, as male and female, we were made to be loved and to give love. And that's why we all love love is because we're made in the image of a trinity. And with love, you can't just have one. With love, you always have a lover, a beloved, and the love between them. And as male and female, um, Pope John Paul shows us like in his Theology of the Body that we, male and female, that a husband loves his wife so much that the love between them actually is another person. Just like in the Trinity, the Father loves the Son so much that it actually is another person, the Holy Spirit. So we are made in that image and likeness, and um, today we're gonna share with you how we were created, because clearly we are in a very messed up culture and we don't know the difference, we don't know what love really is. And we're lucky that we don't, we didn't have to come up with this at all. Basically, we're just um, plagiarizers. And we like big words, by the way. Ubiquitous, amalgamation. You googly, Uh, that's not a real word. Um, You were an English major, you should know that. And so anyways, um, (laughs) so we're gonna talk about that today. So I'm gonna hand over to Bobby Angel. Um, And before we go any further, the the teaching of the church on this matter is it's something that's inherently delicate in that it's touching us in our maleness and our femaleness. And we all come here tonight with our own stories, with our own past and our own experiences. And so um, if we could just say a quick prayer together. 
um, to bring all of this to the Lord. And God, we come here tonight as young men and women asking you to purify us, to open our hearts up, to really to bring everything to you, to bring where we may have mistreated our bodies, where we may have mistreated the bodies of others, or perhaps our own bodies were mistreated by someone we trusted. We offer up these experiences and these the stories that have brought us here to you, and we just ask for an openness to the Spirit and, and where it goes. And we ask above all for the intercession of Mary, the woman, the one woman who walked the earth, who truly had no body issues, who truly knew how to love as a woman, the most holy woman could ever love. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. The the church, again, we're just great plagiarizers. We are not here. This isn't our message. This is the message of the church. And ultimately, the church says it didn't come up with this either. It's just the messenger between God and his people. So really, we're, we're going to do our best, as feebly as we can, to present this image of the church, of God, of man and woman. And up to the 1930s, all the Christian churches were united, in particular, against contraception. And at that point, that's when the Episcopal Church decided to allow contraception under certain circumstances. And now, if you tell us as human persons to, you know, you're, we're okay to do it in these little moments, what do we tend to do? <laughs> all the time. So... It created this open door that opened up all the other churches to say, well, what's the big problem with contraception anyway, to now where we stand as the Catholic Church being the only church that says no. And it wasn't until Paul, Pope Paul VI in the 1960s came up with probably the most controversial teaching of the church in Humana Vitae, where he wrote about just basically why the church cannot accept contraception. And the problem was that he, he said it's against this total vision of man. It's against this total vision of man and woman and who they're supposed to be. And the scary thing was he predicted, he had four major predictions, and maybe you've seen this online. There was some circulating article around from like a business uh, website. It had like nothing to do with the Catholic Church, but it was, it was throwing out these predictions from the Pope in the 60s about what would happen if we accepted contra uh, contraception. And the first point he said, this is what's going to happen is there's going to be a general lowering of morality. Now, I think for our generation, you can even just watch TV and see the shows we grew up with versus what's getting on the air now. Now, we have any Saved by the Bell fans in here? <laughs> Praise be Jesus. <laughs> Back in the day, the most controversial drug they could address was what? Caffeine pills. Jessie was so excited. She was so excited. She's so... I'm so... I'm so... Scared. She wasn't going to get into Stanford. And nowadays, you, what drugs can you show on TV? This, that, and everything. So there's going to be... He predicted there's going to be a general lowering of morality if we accept this contraception. He said there's going to be a, a disregard, a greater disregard for the woman's well-being. 
woman is going to be more used as an object by men. And any billboard you drive by, I think you just look at that. He said that we're going to further reduce our bodies to that of machinery. He said we're just going to have this vision of like we can pump whatever hormones, we can do whatever to enhance our bodies. It's something to be manipulated. Our bodies are no longer a gift to be treated rightly, holistically. Now it's something we can manipulate and work with and sterilize. And the scary one, the particularly scary one, the last one he predicted, was that government coercion of reproductive sterility. The government's going to get directly involved in spreading its contraception. So I don't think we have to go much further. So, you know, the Pope came out with this and laid it out like this is what's going to happen. But he said the contraception against a total vision of man. Problem was, he didn't it really explain the total vision of man. He, it, and the Catholics around the world just heard it as, don't do it. Don't, do, don't use contraception. And if you tell us as a people, don't do something, what do we generally do? If I tell you, don't think about pink elephants, what are you thinking about? Well, I told you not to. So, thankfully, again, Humana Vitae was like this long. But then came John Paul II on the scene. And he presents us with this Encyclopedia Britannica <laughs> of saying, okay, let's look at the total vision of man. And this is the teaching known as the theology of the body. Man and woman, he created them. It's a really deep, very philosophical teaching, but it really is trying to break down this total vision of man. Now, this is your Lord of the Rings. <laughs> For you Tolkien fans, this is your big boy. And you can appreciate it on its own. But if you really want to get down to it and figure it out, you got to look at The Hobbit. <laughs> and if you look at the, his Hobbit, it's love. Why are you laughing? <laughs> you look at love and responsibility. A work he did when he was still just a, a bishop in Poland. And this is really what we're kind of be, it's kind of the roadmap of what we're going to be following for the night was as Carol Wojtyla, this book, Love and Responsibility, where it's the fruit of hours and, and so many experiences of counseling couples, of hearing their stories and getting at this total vision of love of man and woman and how they're called to really love each other. Um, the thesis statement of love and responsibility is that Pope John Paul says, in the future, the opposite of love is not going to be hate, but that in the future, the opposite of love will be use, that we will use people as objects, that we will use people for our own pleasure. And so that's the thesis of love and responsibility. And, and Pope John Paul, I mean, he, in this book, he does not hold anything back because Pope John Paul is a philosopher. He's a the theologian. He's a psychologist. He was a counselor, you know, for married couples. So you're like, what can a celibate man tell me about relationships? But the truth is, these are all things that we inherently know because it's part of us as male and female. So like the first thing he talks about is the sexual urge. And he uses that word and you're like, oh, hello, you know? And the fact that we all have this sexual urge that makes us attracted to the complementary values of the other person. So as a female, it makes me sexually attracted to the complementary values of a man and for men, for women. And, and that is what the sexual urge is. It is, is a longing. It's longing for those complementary values. And 
And I just think like someone told me one time or I, Bobby and his brother came to visit a few weeks ago and his brother, he joked and told was telling one of his friends um, like, oh, my brother Dan was like our chastity cop, you know, and his friend was like, what with Jackie Francois? She's like a nun. And I was like, what? You know, <laughs> I mean, I was thinking like, wait, do you mean that in a way of like a sexually repressed way? Or you mean because I know a lot of nuns who are awesomely like sexually integrated way. So but the truth is, is that people think like if you're a chastity speaker, you're kind of like a nun. And the truth is this, that there are three ways that you that people look at the sexual urge. You have the stoic who says, I don't have the sexual urge. I don't have one. It's not there. And, and that actually in America came with Puritanism. With Puritanism, people pretend that they have no sexual urge because to them, sexual urge, it's bad. It's bad, bad, bad. And what's interesting is that in our culture today, we don't see sex as something that's beautiful and good and holy. We see something, sex is bad. If you, if you listen, I remember the first time I listened to Rihanna's S&M, which all these things, you all know that song. You know, I may be bad and I'm perfectly good at it. There's sex in the air. I don't care. I like the smell of it. Ugh. Um, sticks and stones may break my bones, but chains and whips excite me. That is the chorus of this song. And guess which word they bleep out on the radio? The word sex. Are you kidding me? The most holy word in that chorus you bleep out because it's seen as a dirty word. It's seen as a bad word. Why? Because in the 1600s, and actually Pope John Paul wrote the theology of the body in reaction to the philosophy of the 1600s, which started to make our bodies not as a beautiful theology that reveals God, but as just a machine. And a stoic is somebody who says, oh, no, no, I don't have a sexual urge. I am perfect. It's kind of like the Pharisee who pretends that they are all clean and good, and they do not look at what is going on inside. The addict, on the other hand, is kind of on the other end of the spectrum. The addict realizes that they have this sexual urge, but the problem is, is that they don't know how to satisfy it, and they keep looking everywhere to satisfy it. They can turn to drugs. They can turn to alcohol. They can turn to sex. And the thing is, because they just can't get enough, and the thing is, you can't fulfill a desire that's meant for infinity with something that's finite. Because ultimately, this sexual urge, God created the sexual urge between men and women. Why? Because the love between a husband and a wife, it reveals, it's a foretaste of heaven. We were not made just for this earth. We were made for eternity. And so the most used analogy in scripture is that of a bridegroom for his bride. Is that of a lover for his beloved. And so God created us male and female to mirror that to the, he, the Adam and Eve in the beginning of Genesis. The marriage between man and woman is supposed to point us to the marriage of Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, and the bride, the church in heaven. What? Can you believe that? Has anybody ever told you that? You know, do they say that on the radio? But guess what? Sex, which is supposed to be worship of God, has now become worshiped, and we worship sex. And so, why do we have addictions? because we have this sexual urge, but people don't know where to turn, so we have addictions to pornography. We have addictions, you know, all these, and by the way, pornography makes more money than the NFL, the NBA, and the MLB combined. And guess what, Hugh Hefner, who started Playboy magazine, Hugh Hefner was raised in a very puritanistic household. He said his mother did not hug him as a child. And guess where this puritanistic boy, he turned, he had this sexual urge within him and they were telling him to stuff it down. Well, guess what happened? He went completely to the other end of the spectrum. Now, when, when his friend was like, Jackie Francois is a nun, I was like, huh, no. 
the thing is, is that the, the mystic, and I'm not saying I'm a mystic, but I'm saying all of us are called to be mystics. And what that means is that all of us are supposed to be, in a way, we're closer to the addict than the stoic. Because at least we recognize that we have this urge within us. We have this sexual urge, but it is holy, it is good, and we have to learn how to control it. Not to let it control us, because if it controls us, then we are enslaved to our desires. You guys, our passions are not bad. Our passions are from God, but we have to know where to direct them. So we can't be controlled by this sexual urge. We have to know how to be redeemed, let God redeem that and know how to have some self-control, how to have some self-mastery. And so I'm gonna have you go to the next slide. There, Pope John Paul says that in this sexual urge, we are attracted to two different things. Sensuality is attraction to the body. We are attracted to the body of another. And so we, we see somebody and we're like, whoa. And, and these two things are things that happen to us. So when, you know, guys, when you see a beautiful woman walking down their street, you're like, whoa, hello, you know, you're beautiful. And that's hopefully, and then you start singing One Direction just because girls all love that song. <laughs> No, no, they don't. Um, or you sing, if I was your boyfriend, I'd never let you go. I could take you places you ain't never been before. Okay, Bieber, we all love him. Um, so, but, but sensuality, sensuality is the attraction to the body. And it's a good thing, but sensuality on its own, without love, without these virtues, sensuality on its own can turn into the use of somebody. The, the objectification and... Um, I was gonna say the exploitation of a person, like pornography, is the exploitation of a human person. Pope John Paul said that it's not that pornography shows too much, but pornography shows too little because it only shows a body and not a body and a soul. And you know what we do when we lust after someone's body? We forget that they also have a soul and that they are a total person. So it's okay, we, were, we have this desire for another's body, but it has to be integrated knowing that they are a whole person, not just a body, but they are body and soul. And I love, I have a friend, um, my really good friend Paul, one time we were in the mall together and Paul and I walk and we, there was this big, big Victoria's Secret um, poster and both of us see this poster and we both turn our heads. I turn my head because as a woman, we're naturally inclined to compare ourselves, you know, to these airbrush models who aren't real. And um, we're naturally inclined to say, oh, I'm not as good as this. I'm not as skinny and all this. And guys, you know, my friend Paul, like he turned his head. He was like, that is somebody's sister. That is somebody's daughter. Her name is Dolores. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and he went like, he said, well, my... He's like a priest once said in this talk he was giving, he said, if you are tempted to lust after a woman, like if you see a woman, you're aroused, you're tempted to lust, he said, make her a person and give her a name. And I was like, Dolores, really? No offense if anyone's name is Dolores. That is somebody's sister, that is somebody's daughter, her name is Dolores, you know? And I just thought, that's your grandma's name. Oh, Dolores, that's nice. I don't think he was thinking of your grandma, though. <laughs> That's kind of awkward. Sorry, Bobby. Uh, so, so, you know, like, sensuality is good, and it's meant to do that. Now, sentimentality is the attraction towards it's our feelings. And feelings are great, but sometimes when feelings are not integrated, and ladies, you all know this, you're like, oh, my gosh, he's so handsome. He's so great. Now, how many of you guys have dated somebody, and you've had all these feelings and emotions, and a few months later, you kind of are like, oh, my gosh. They are totally not the person I thought they were. Raise your hands if that's ever happened to you. You are disillusioned. You kind of feel a little duped that you thought 
that somebody, you, because you had all these emotions that overruled the actual being of the person. And we, if feelings alone um, direct our relationships, we can become disillusioned. And we can idealize people. And we can make this person out to be so wonderful and so great, all the while knowing that this is not the person that you should be with, right? And so these things are good. Sensuality, sentimentality, and that's why it's quoted here. Love involves more than the spontaneous sensual or emotional reactions that are produced by the sexual urge. Authentic love requires acts of the will directed toward the good of the person. And that's from a book called Men, Women, and the Mystery of Love, which if any of you guys want to know about love and responsibility. This is like the breakdown version for young adults. It's an amazing, amazing book. And we have like all these books up here that we've both pretty much read, almost all of them, that are like awesome books about all this. But Men, Women, and the Mystery of Love is like practical things. One of the things he says in here, um, it's Dr. Edward Shree, who is a professor at the Augustine Institute in Denver. He says, you know, we are not animals. We don't just have animal instincts. Like we can choose to love. Like when we are aroused, when we see the sight of another human being, we don't just act like an animal and we don't go and, you know, um, <laughs> like an animal does to your leg sometimes. You know what I mean? That's what I'm talking about. And so we have this, we can choose to love. You know, cats do not have the conscience to love a cat doesn't is a cat in heat doesn't say all right when will be the best time for you you know like a cat in heat doesn't say is this the best partner for me i don't know you know when and where would be the best time a cat doesn't do that a cat just goes and does what a cat does to another cat and so we though as human beings we are not animals and i think that is the biggest I remember one time I was doing uh, some pro-life work and somebody said, oh, Jackie, come on. We just hand out condoms and all this stuff. People are going to do it anyways. And I was like, actually, no, I'm 28 years old and I'm a virgin. Like, we're not all just going to go do it. Like, we have self-control. And one, it is possible. And two, you deserve better. Like, I, I'm like, I'm never going to settle. Like, I never wanted to settle. I mean, clearly. Um, <laughs> lot of whole prayers went in this guy um and and you know what i mean like i was like i'm never i'm never gonna <laughs> settle because i knew i like i'm worth it as a daughter of god like i i know that god alone satisfies me to me jesus is the bridegroom and this guy is the best man yeah you like that yeah okay <laughs> he's clapping for it because i like him because that's the truth is that god alone no human being will ever is ever going to satisfy us know that right now no one. God alone satisfies the longings of our hearts. So um, Pope John Paul talks about sensuality and feelings, how they're good, but they need to be integrated into, into love, into virtue, or else this happens. <laughs> Pope talks about a utilitarian relationship. And this is this philosophy that's kind of inherently, inherently we, we grow up with it here in America, that we look to the object of whatever's in front of us, be it a car, be it a lawnmower, be it another person, and it's looked at upon as, is it useful? Is it useful to me? Is it, does it provide a good? And this is where, especially when it comes to the human person, this gets problematic because now the grandparent, the elderly person in a home who can now no longer produce or be of use as we perceive it, do they have a right to life anymore? On the other end of the spectrum, an unborn child is not producing, 
is not of technical use, some would argue. Are they of value? And this is where, you know, it's awesome to be Catholic because we believe womb to tomb, you have value. When it comes to a utilitarian relationship, it's, you know, being an acquaintance, a friendship, or so often, from my own experiences, a relationship. The person is viewed as, as their use. Are they providing pleasure to me? And utilitarian relationships inherently breed a certain fear and insecurity. It's a warning sign if in these relationships we're afraid to bring up certain topics, if we're afraid to confront our sexuality, or afraid to confront like issues of chastity. And I know as a guy, it's always like, this was Adam's big fall, is that he wasn't being the protector he was called to be. And in the Garden of Eden, in the story of Genesis, you all know where Adam was standing when Eve received the apple, right? He was standing right next to her. Oh, snap. <laughs> we like to believe, oh, he was like over there asleep, or he was under that tree over there, or, you know, he was fishing, or, you know, washing his truck, <laughs> doing whatever guys do. Adam was standing right next to her. Adam, when he should have stepped forward and been like, no, 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 trust in the Father. Trust in the Father's goodness. Let his bride, let the woman who, he, who God entrusted to him be duped, receive this lie. Adam was supposed to be the protector. And so, guys, it hits home especially because we're supposed to be the protector. Before it even enters this realm of lust, before it even gets to the point of like, how far is too far? It's already the wrong question. The guy is the one who's supposed to step forward and be like, I love you enough to not even get to how far is too far, to not even get close to that line. And we're going to break down love, what that means later on, because we have one, in English, we have one big word for love. We'll break that down in a bit. When we're secure in God, we give. When we know ourselves as sons and daughters of the Father, we are free. We're free to give. I was at a retreat once, and the priest was like, at the end of it, he was like, man, I watched you go from this at the beginning, like just in prayer, just this bundled up position, to like the end of the week, I was like this. Not even bodily, like the whole time, but just like he could see like interiorly, like I was just like this, like just free. Just because I really had a very transforming retreat of just really knowing like God loves me as a son. Not knowing it here in the head, but really knowing it in the heart and how that frees you to love rightly. But we're, when we're insecure in these relationships that are based on use, we take, we grasp. We don't want to let the other person go. It's, it's out of fear. It's not of freedom. I mean, even with Jackie, like, it's wanting to her to be free as she can possibly be. And so knowing that, there's a certain fear that I always have to like step back and be like, all right, am I grasping? Am I like taking up too much of her time? Am I like, you know, bugging, bothering her too much? Am I texting her the office quotes too much? <laughs> Never. Never. <laughs> the relationship, if we're secure in God and who we are, we give. We just naturally give and you want to give that freedom. It doesn't know that fear that wants to grasp and hold on because love inherently, if it's the rightly integrated love, 
it just gives and it just gives right on back. And, uh, and especially like, I know, I mean, I'm sure all of you have friends who, and I, I got this email from this girl was like my best friend. She broke up with this guy. She knew she wasn't supposed to be with. And then 10 hours later, they got back together. Right. We all know. And maybe that was you. Okay, girl, don't lie. Don't lie. Okay. Seriously. Oh, you're like, Oh, that was me. Okay. Um, because when we are insecure, we take, and we grasp at relationships that we know we are not supposed to be in. We sometimes know that this person, this guy or this girl is not the right person. They are leading us to hell. Because in a relationship, people are either leading you closer to heaven or they're leading you closer to hell. And sometimes we are so afraid, we're so insecure that sometimes we just don't care because we don't want to be alone. And even though we have this anxiety in within us and we know that's the wrong relationship, sometimes we just... We're so insecure, we just take and we grasp onto a relationship we're not supposed to be in. And when we are, do you wanna? No. Just real quick, a friend of mine once told me, when it comes to loneliness, and whether you're married, single, celibate, whatever, a friend told me once, loneliness is just God's kind of knocking at your heart saying, spend time with me. And that totally transformed my view of loneliness. If there was a moment in prayer, a moment in and really like not for just a day where I was feeling lonely. It was, as a single person especially, it's like you go like, oh, is that God? It just, he makes, it makes it, he makes it, he allows you to feel that hole in your heart that he wants to fill. And that's a good segue because today is the Feast of St. Augustine who said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you that we will feel this restlessness. And we feel that ache and that longing because that's how we were made. We feel it for God. Now, if we, if we do this utilitarian relationship, Pope John Paul likens it to prostitution. Because sometimes we're like, oh, well, you know, but I'm okay because we're using each other. Like, the person's just not just using me. Like, we're using each other. It's consensual, you know? And Pope John Paul's like, that's prostitution. <laughs> and he says, because what happens in prostitution? A man gives money. Well, in some cases, you know, a man gives money for sex and a woman gives sex for money. That's what we do in our culture. Except, you know, on a Saturday night, it's funny. I, like, go out on Saturday nights and I can't tell the difference anymore between young adult women and how they're dressed and prostitutes. And except the, these young adult women are giving it away for free. Dang. Oh, snap. She said it. <laughs> but it's true, right? We allow ourselves to be seen as objects and that we are just these bodies and, and we allow people to use us. And Pope John Paul says, if we see somebody else as a tool, it's because we see ourselves as a tool as well to be used. And that's what happens in utilitarian relationships where we use people for our own pleasures, not only bodily pleasures, but sometimes we use people for security. And a lot of times women, because we want to feel loved, will use guys for the emotional aspect of it. And so either way, either way, whether you're using someone for their body or for the security, the safety, emotions, it's use. It's prostitution, as Pope John Paul says. But there is another way. And the other way is having a virtuous friendship. Okay. Um, is that a virtuous friendship uh, Plato talked about three different types of friendships and the, the, the best friendship is the virtuous friendship where you have a common goal a common aim and as a Catholic our common goal is, is to get to heaven and so when I look at I'm like okay in this relationship if there's something going on I'm like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to him because whether, it, whether it's an issue of chastity, whether it's an issue of something like maybe I said or he said, I'm going to say my goal is to get this guy to heaven. 
And in this relationship, I'm going to be okay bringing things up because he knows that I want his good. It's not a nagging thing like, oh, you did this again. And I don't, I don't try to do that, you know, at all. Like, I'm trying to like, okay, is this because, well, shut it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but, but the thing is, like, we know that God is the foundation of this relationship. And I would never have it any other way. And if this, and the thing is, when I've dated guys in the past who weren't, a, who weren't spiritual leaders, then I would become the woman that I didn't want to be. I would be like, become like their mom. And that's when I was like, this is not the right guy because I don't want to become like anybody's mom, you know? I want it to be where the two of us are like running this race together and we're each, when I get tired, he's like, come on, Jackie, you can do this. Or if I'm having a bad day, he's like, come on, you can do this. Or if he's having a bad day, I can be like, you can do this. And we've already experienced that too. And we'll be on the phone and I'm like having a horrible day. And he's like, let's just pray. Let's, let's pray right now. And he'll pray over me over the phone. And same with him. Like he's having a bad day. I'll pray over him on the phone. Because in our friendship, in our friendship, we know that our common aim is heaven. It's not to use each other. It's not for pleasure. It's not for whatever. Like it's, it's to be holy. And, that, and that's the thing. If we are afraid to bring up any issues, then maybe we know that that's a red flag that we're not supposed to be in that relationship. Because for me, I can be completely free to be myself. I'm completely free to be goofy, to be a big nerd. And we're both big goofballs and nerds. But we're also free to be children of God. My, my spiritual life is not stifled being in this relationship. It's actually growing because he's helping to lead me there. And so in a good friendship, that's what it's based on. And um, Pope John Paul says, when the betrothed love enters into this interpersonal relationship, something more than friendship results, two people give themselves to the other. Because Pope John Paul said that love is to be a gift. It's not to take because that's what Adam and Eve did. They took. And so God is saying, or, or sorry, well, God showed us to be a gift on the cross. He gave himself away. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next section is, is love. What is love? Because what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. You me? You me? You me? You me? Okay. Um, yeah. This. Um, so what, what is love, Bobby Angel? Well, see, the prophet Hewan McGregor said that love is a many splendid thing. Love lifts us up where we belong. All you need is love. And I won't start that again. Yeah, don't start that again. No. This is one of my favorite parts of it. It's, um, again, because we in English, we have this word love. But it is confusing as heck. Especially if you watch middle schoolers or high schoolers use, like, throw this word around. I love my bicycle. I love my iPod. I love you. <laughs> you know? And the seventh grade girl's like, oh. But he's, he's really meaning it like, no, I just love my bicycle. I love you too. And then the girl's like, what? She hears a different kind of love. She's hearing it at this level. The dude's like, I'm really affectionate. Like, I really like my bike. Like, it's a sweet huffy. And in English, we have this word love. And it's, it's just like, this, it can become this big mess. The Greeks were smart. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves, and even John Paul II really breaks it down in understanding like love is more complex than we mesh it all up. Like in every love song, it's kind of like, which love are they talking about? And this is where um, I really enjoy this section, just because we all know it. We all have been through these experiences. We know it, and it's just, it's cool to see actually broken down. So the Greeks, like the first, the first level, if like the lowest basis level, of love, this movement of love is called storge. 
I like to say storage. <laughs> Just because it's a little more like manly, I guess. Like <laughs> storage. storage. You know, yeah. the storge is, is that of like base affection. It's the fam familial affection. That's where you'd have like you know a person to their their bicycle, a person to an object. For me, it's my iPod. A person I call her Sasha. It's that base love that's more of a connect father's giving me this really weird look. Yeah, it's Sasha. Storge is that, that base. It's more of like an object. Like, I'm attached to this. This brings me comfort. This brings me pleasure. But beyond that. And the next one, the next, if you go higher level, it's philia, philos. And that is a brotherly kind of... A, Friendship, affection. You have the city of Philadelphia. City of what? Brotherly love. That's when you're getting to, as C.S. Lewis even calls, the most, what do you say, like the most, but it's basically like the French, like, <laughs> you know, again, we're trying. God bless it. But it's the most unnecessary of loves in that you don't really need friends in that the human species has a need to reproduce. We have a need for an attachment to certain things. Friendship, he said, he calls, is in a way unnecessary. But we like friends. Our friends build us up. Our friends are the ones that keep us together. I get by with a little help from my friends. <laughs> so we're moving up a bit more. So you sit, you again, you go to your brother, you go to a friend, and say, I love you. That's what you're getting at. If you, that's that familial brotherly love of that person that ultimately is supposed to be the groundwork for any relationship any dating relationship we have it should be able to look at the other person i should be able to look at jackie and say this is my sister first like this is how i should care for her first before we get to the next level and vice versa the girl should look at the guy and have this kind of like i care for you as a brother i want the best for you then we go up and then we get to Eros. Now, Eros is, again, that divine kind of energy, that force. For the guys in the room, an attractive girl walks in, you're like, huh? You know, everyone's head goes turning. Or you see, a, like, in high school or middle school, you watch any, like, a, attractive girl come in the room, and all the guys are just like, huh? Look over there. It's that divine force. It's that kind of energy that's the attraction that if we... It's, it's good. It is a good desire. If God didn't put it in us, human species would have died out a very long time ago. <laughs> men are meant to have this attraction towards women. Women are meant to have this attraction towards men. But on its own, Eros can be this kind of, as the Greeks even said, a divine madness. It can drive you crazy. And if that's that Eros is all it is, it can very easily turn in on itself and devour itself. It's that love that gets so consumed with the other person. That love, you know, from a guy that gets so involved in the girl and so, like, she's my world, she's my everything. Like, without her, nothing, everything will crumble. The world will fall apart. You know, the world probably won't fall apart, but, you know, you're a hot mess already. So, Eros on its own needs something else. Eros, which is a good love, which, again, you go to a middle school or high school and the guys are throwing the word around, what, which is the love they're getting at here? It's usually an eros. It's usually like, I have this desire. 
I have this energy for you. But is it that energy that is looking for a committed, faithful relationship or not so much? And the last, the last one is agape love, which is God's love. It's an unconditional love. Um, it has no conditions. So God's love for us, no matter what we've done, no matter what our sin, no matter where we've been our past, God still loves us. And this is where Eros is supposed to be caught up in agape love. Now, I was like, what? there should be five loves. One day we were on the phone and I was like, why? Why isn't there a fifth love? Because what, Eros is just Eros and agape is agape. There should be a fifth love and it should be aragape. I mean, I was like, because what about married people? Like, Father Jacob, don't roll your eyes at me. Okay, I will cut you. Okay. <laughs> he's, he's been my friend since college, so we can talk like that. Um, we're friends. We're besties. Okay. Um, so, so I was like, aragape. That's like married love. Because in married love, you have this arrows. But in married love, you also have this gift. You also have this dying and a, a dying to self. And this Sunday, we saw that in Ephesians 5, in the second reading at Mass, that it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and wives be submissive to your husbands. Now, if taken out of context, as you're like, What? Uh uh. No, he didn't. Okay. <laughs> Girls, don't get all sassy. Okay. What happens is that, ladies, this means submissive means to be under the mission. If your husband's mission is to die for you, are you going to be under his mission? I know I would, okay? You know what I mean? Like, I want to be under the mission of a man who is willing to lay down his life for me. But if a man's going to use me in a relationship, I don't want to be under that mission. I want to be under the mission of a man who's going to love me as Christ loved the church. And Christ died for the church. He handed himself over. And when, when it comes to marriage, that's what we do. We look at how Christ loved the church. And we see what are the four things that when, when we take wedding vows, there are four vows that we take. And it's the vows reflect God's love for his people. And the four things are free, total, faithful, and fruitful. So I'm going to have you go to the next slide. And the, the, the nature of love is free, total, faithful, and fruitful. So I'm just going to oh, go back though. one. I'm going to read this. Um, it says, yeah. <laughs> In, in Matthew Kelly, another great book, Seven Le Levels of Intimacy, but after reading Love and Responsibility, you could read this in a day. Uh, and it, but in order to love, you must be free. For to love is to give yourself to someone freely, completely, unconditionally, and without reservation. To give yourself, you must first possess yourself. The very nature of love requires self-possession. Without self-mastery, self-control, self-domination, we are incapable of love. So you can go to the next slide. Because in love, we are called to be free, total, faithful, and fruitful. And I, and I thought of, it was interesting. I was listening to the radio today, and I'm going to have you read this. Because it's funnier when you read song lyrics out loud. I don't know if you guys ever seen Christopher Walken recite Lady Gaga's poker face. It is hilarious. Oh, ooh, ooh, wee, ah, ooh, poker face. It's awesome. You guys got to go on YouTube that. Um. But I was listening to the lyrics of this one song today, and some of y'all are going to know it once he starts reading the lyrics. And I was like, whoa, this is complete opposite of freedom because we are called to be free in a relationship, that we freely come. Nobody is holding a gun to our head. But here's the other thing. When it comes to freedom is that you are not enslaved to your passions that you cannot truly love because the truth is if you are addicted to something, you can't love. If you can't say no to pornography, you're addicted and you're enslaved to that and you are not free to love. 
If you are addicted to anything else, if you cannot say no to something, it means that you are a slave to that. And it says in scripture, do not be slaves to sin, be slaves to righteousness. So in your life, if there's something that you cannot say no to, you need to look at that and say, oh man, I'm addicted to this. And I'm not free to love when I'm addicted to sin. And so God calls us to be free, but I'm going to have him read these because I, the, the song is catchy and it's like number two on iTunes right now. But I was like having him read the lyrics. And I was like, wow, these are so lame. But this is like the opposite of freedom. <clears throat> A song by an unknown band. For now. For now. You and I go hard at each other like we're going to war. You and I go rough. We keep throwing things and slamming the door. You and I get so damn dysfunctional. We stopped keeping score. You and I get sick. Yeah, I know that we can't do this no more. It should be anymore. <laughs> but baby, there you again. There you, there you again? There you again making me love you. Yeah, I stopped using my head. Using my head, let it all go. Got you stuck on my body, on my body like a tattoo. And now I'm feeling, I keep laughing. <laughs> Trying to make a point. I so I cross my heart and I hope to die that I'll only stay with you one more night. Aw, oh, no. No. I know I said it a million times, but I'll only stay with you one more night. So I cross my heart and I hope to die. It's Maroon 5. Y'all, this song is like number two on iTunes. If you haven't heard it, you're going to hear it soon. And I was like, this is like bitter Adam Levine. Oh my gosh. It just turned number one. It just turned number one. Yeah. It just turned number one on iTunes. And the lyrics, you're just like, this is so lame. But in a sense, too, you're just like, wow, this person, he's saying, he's basically saying like, I'm trying to say no to you. And I'm saying, okay, this is the last night. We're going to do this again. And he says, and I wake up in the morning feeling so guilty because I know that this should be my last night with you. This man is clearly somebody who is not free. He's, he's so bonded to this person. And here's the other thing. When we bond ourselves, and, and Fulton Sheen, oh, I love Fulton Sheen so much. Um, Fulton Sheen said this, there is no such thing as giving the body without giving the soul. Those who think they can be faithful in soul to one another, but unfaithful in the body, forget that the two are inseparable. When you have sex with a body, you also have sex with a soul. St. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? If you unite yourself to a prostitute, you become one flesh, one spirit with that prostitute. Dang. You guys, our bodies are made. They are made to be with another. And actually, the biochemistry of the human body changes when you have sex, when you are bonded, even not even just sex, but anytime you are sexually aroused, there's a chemical called oxytocin that is released in the human body. It's eight times stronger in women than it is in men. Why? Because it's also released when a woman gives birth to her child to bond her to her baby, and it's also released when she breastfeeds to bond her to her child. So when a man and a woman are aroused with each other or have sex, there's literally a chemical that bonds the two of them together. Our bodies know. Even our bodies know what's going on because our bodies have a theology. Our bodies know that we were made for one person forever. So the first is free. Are we free or are we bonded to somebody else? And we're not standing up here perfect saying that we've never, been, you know, like I, I know in my own life, I'm like, okay, I've given myself away 
in ways that I wish I hadn't. And I'm like, am I still bonded to those people spiritually? Because anytime I gave myself away in my body, I also gave a part of my soul to them as well. And it takes prayer and healing. And we're not up here saying we're perfect. We're not up here saying, but that we're, God's calling us to be free. And the second thing is total. That God is calling us to, to give, to love totally, not to hold anything back. Because that's how he loved on the cross was, was totally. I'm gonna, oh, and I would say two, there are two songs on the radio that um, show the opposite spectrums of total, okay? Uh, and one of them, because we all love this song, is, oh, I won't hesitate no more, no more. This cannot wait. I'm yours. Okay, we all know that song. Y'all probably have it on your iPod. Okay, don't lie. Um, I'm on Sasha. He is on Sasha. Um, I'm yours. We all love that song because it's like, I'm yours. I'm totally yours. And the opposite of this song is, is this other song which says, that, which pretends to say that it's possible to separate your soul and your body, which is basically um, in the song Poker Face by Lady Gaga. She's actually talking about having a poker face during sex. And she's basically saying, she says this, and she says, I won't tell you that I love you, kiss or hug you, because I'm bluffing with my muffin. Y'all know what a muffin is, okay? Y'all got a muffin top. There's a muffin bottom, okay? <laughs> so she's saying, I won't show my face, and I won't show my emotions during sex. Well, Lady Gaga knows that there's a language of the body. If she knows what it looks like to lie with her body, she knows the truth. That our bodies have a truth, that we cannot give away ourselves just by a little, we give all of ourselves away. And oxytocin, I was talking about this chemical, oxytocin, when you bond yourself, what it does is like if you take tape to somebody and you rip it off, it's like it hurts, right? And, and then if you go and stick that tape to somebody else, it's not as sticky. And then you go and put on someone else, oxytocin actually loses its stickiness the more and more partners that you have. Now, on the flip side, if, if you have messed up in the past, and you've lived a life of chastity, that it's rebuilt. And God can redeem anything. And so God is calling us to be totally yours. And I love that Fulton Sheen quote as well. In a sense, in that, in that way, that our love's called to be total for another person, we're actually cheating on our future spouse when we're unchaste with whatever relationship we're in now. Even if that relationship is the person you're called to marry. And even if you're called to celibacy, even if you're called to, you know, marriage to a certain person, what you're doing now is affecting, you know, the future yourself. And I mean, like we said, we're not perfect. You know, I did lose my virginity in college. And it was really, a, you know, just kind of a perfect storm near the end of college. I was involved in campus ministry stuff. But by the end of it, it was just kind of like a combination of burnout and then losing like my accountability people and just, you know, lust and the devil and everything else getting in there. And, um, you know, I didn't have in mind, like, I'm going to see my future spouse one day and I'm going to have to, like, tell her everything I've been through. And it's it's amazing to me, like, we went to Mass earlier together, that today it's the Feast of St. Augustine, a guy who has been there and back again. And it's awesome to me in my own heart because, like, I know, like, I've been there and back again, like, no matter how far you, I have friends who were like, we kind of, we lost Bob. Like he's kind of gone down this road or he just he fell out of the ministry stuff. He fell out, whatever. It's just kind of like written me off, but no one is ever too far gone. Like 
it, and it takes an openness to Christ. It takes an openness to healing, whatever ish, whatever wounds, whatever hurts you have to bring that in prayer. And it, sometimes it takes a long time. And, you know, there's days where I think about it for like five seconds or three seconds. There's days where it like haunts me in prayer that like I didn't wait for Jackie, you know, like it sucks to know that. But at the same time, like Christ has brought us so far that she looks at me and just gives me this look. that's like she's told me out loud that I don't want the you of 2007, 2008, 2009. She says, I want the you of today. You know, and everything that has brought you here, because I know the man you are now. It's a we're called to a love that is total to just to give everything and hold nothing back. And that, again, we go through as we finish up with these loves, these natures of love. The 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 questions that the Catholic Church gets hammered with: contraception, same-sex marriage, abortion, all these issues that you try to tackle head-on, like like one-on-one, it doesn't work. You need to understand this is the vision of the church. This is the vision of God. Say, this is how we're called to love. It's the case of the church wanting the best for us, not saying, don't do this. It's saying, we love you enough to, to tell you this is the truth. Is it love if your niece or nephew or son or daughter runs up and puts their hand on the hot stove and you're like, I respect you enough. Like, I respect your freedom enough. Like, your truth is your truth. My truth is mine. Like, you believe that stove is cold. Like, I can't. I respect you. I, you know, this is tolerance. This is good. This is, this is, this is healthy. I'd be like, hell no. Get off that stove. The church is saying, we love you enough to not put your hand on the stove. We love you enough to say, this is the kind of love, a free, total, and now we move into faithful, fruitful love. This is the love we're all called to share in. And, and faithful, um, that it's meant to last forever because God's love is a love that lasts forever. And I was thinking, like, you don't ever hear love songs that are like, girl, I want to love you for two weeks. You know, like, you just don't hear that. You hear what? I want to love you for how long? Forever. I want to love you forever. And what's crazy is that in this life, married love does not last forever. When does it say, I will love you till what? Till death. Because we're not married in heaven. Because why would you need marriage, which is a sign of heaven, when you're already in heaven? The love between a husband and wife is only pointing us to heaven. So you don't need marriage in heaven when you're in marriage with Jesus, the bridegroom. You're, in, you're there. And so I, the song that I love is just because you guys, and, and, po- and Pope John Paul talks about this, Fulton Sheen talks about ecstasy. One of the effects of love is ecstasy, which means to stand outside of yourself. And our world is so obsessed with the pleasure of sex. We long for these moments of pleasure and ecstasy. And I was thinking about this one song. Uh, I love this song because I'm like, dude, he's not even talking about here. He's talking about heaven. It's like, it's you. And me moving at the speed of light into eternity. Tonight is the night you'll join me in the middle of ecstasy. Okay, and then he's like, I've been waiting my whole life for this one night. It's gonna be me and the dance floor. Cause we only got one night. Double your pleasure, double your fun, and dance forever. Forever, forever, forever on the 
dance floor. And I'm like, oh, heaven is like a wedding feast. And I know there's going to be dancing. I'm going to be doing the moonwalk, okay? I'm like, yeah, that's, all. <laughs> that's what I'm going to be doing. I hope Michael Jackson is there. I hope. If not, I might be sad. I'm like, beat it. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm like, that is the song of like, I love that song because the opposite of that song is grab somebody sexy, tell them, hey, give me everything tonight. I hate that song. I'm like, okay, yeah, grab somebody sexy and be like, hey, girl, give me everything tonight because tomorrow might not happen. And she's like, okay. Girl, you're an idiot. You know, like if a girl only did that, I'd be like, ugh, gag me with a spork. Okay, seriously. So, the guy, I would just punch him in the face if a guy ever said that to me. Um, you know, and, and so that's, that's faithful. That God's love lasts forever, but we are called to a love that is faithful. And our body, and I was, again, I talked about oxytocin. Our bodies know that we are called to, for, to that one person forever, or at least till death do us part. Um, and so the next one is fruitful. I don't know if you... No, okay. <laughs> I mean, basically, in love, when you look at the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, it was fruitful. What does that mean? He said, I will know you are my disciples if you what? If you bear fruit. And you're like, oranges and apples? I live in California, the land of the fruits and the nuts. This makes sense. No. Um, but if you're fruitful, the first commandment of the 613 commandments in the Jewish Bible the first commandment out of the 613 was be fruitful and multiply. And no, he was not talking about oranges and multiplication tables. Okay. What was he taught? God was taught saying, be fruitful and multiply. So in love, our love is always called to go out. Love is never stagnant and stays within a people. Love always bears fruit. And why the church says, are you open to the, ch to children? That's why contraception is a grave evil and a grave sin is because you are contracepting bearing fruit. And in my, own wit in my own life, my conversion at 18 happened when I found out the church is teaching on contraception. At first I was like, what? Why would the church teach it? That's so stupid. Like, why couldn't you just do whatever you wanted to in marriage? And then I learned about NFP and I learned about the church's beautiful teaching on, on all this. And I was just like, what? This is so amazing. Every husband that I, I actually, I'm starting a new website and I interviewed a bunch of couples about they're using natural family planning. And you know what the most beautiful part was? When the husband's the husbands, because a lot of times women, even in marriage, are used by their husbands. Um, when the husband would say, you know what, using natural family planning, I know my wife's body and I know how beautiful it is. And he's like, and every time we come back together, it's like a honeymoon all over again. Because you have these moments of chastity that you even wait for your bride again and again. And it was so beautiful to see the husbands loving their wives like this. It was so beautiful. And my own conversion happened. Because you guys, if you, agree, if you agree with the church's teaching on contraception, everything else is just e is easy. Because guess what? When contraception was allowed, everything just fell apart. It went pff, infidelity up, abortion up, you know, all these things out of wedlock marriages up. Um, Same-sex marriage, we're like, oh, it's okay now. Because, well, if you contracept a male and female relationships, then it, it doesn't matter in other relationships. And so if we understand this free, total, faithful, fruitful, everything else makes sense. Everything else makes sense. That's why it's hard if somebody, my sisters, my sisters are actually, um, one, my sister's best friend is a married lesbian with an adopted kid. And I love her. She's like part of my family. And so when they ask me about like the same-sex marriage question, I can't just answer same-sex marriage. I have to go to the, the source of how we were made as male and female and how it's 
we reveal God in this union. I can't just start at all these things. Like you have to go to what the meaning, the meaning of life, you know, as male and female. Yeah, face is exploding all over the walls, all over the floor. It's smeared. 